good evening. This is Patrick from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. And I never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Welcome, everybody. Yes, welcome. My name is Earl Grey. Hi, I'm Jack Dorino. <laughs> and we are Let's Talk About Treks. It's the show that won't sneak around in your walls. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Star yeah. Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. Season 4, Episode 11, Rosetta. Ooh, Rosetta. The release date was the 3rd of March, 2022. Oh, that's 3322. Yes. Mm. They almost got 3333. I was thinking May the 4th, but never mind. Okay. For a second there. So. It is the 53rd of all mm-hmm. 55 episodes so far of Star Trek Discovery. Yes, 53 of 55. We are closing in on the end of season four. And I noticed when I turned on the episode today mm-hmm. that there was a title card that said. Final season streaming April 2024. Oh, I did. That's the first time I've seen an announcement of when it's going to be on air. Ooh, I didn't get that, but I'm glad you saw that. Thank you for sharing. It is my pleasure. It is the 831st of all 908 episodes of Star Trek. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, is it me? Yeah. (laughs) This episode was written by Terry Hughes-Burton, and the directors were Jeff Bird and Jen McGowan. Rosetta takes place on Stardate 865783.7. Yeah, this this Stardate (laughs) makes me think... Like I was thinking, like it was she was gonna go on forever. This is <laughs> Saturday seven six five three four nine two four six three eight four eleven twelve three nine six two four three L eleven point two. It really went like we're really getting advanced in the star dates. It is a whole string yes. of numbers. Yes, we are still though in the year thirty one ninety. That is the year in the thirty second century. Mm-hmm. So have you done the math to figure out if uh, the dates should be roughly we, this long by now? We've talked about this before, and yes. Oh, okay. Well, it's fine to remind our audience. While Captain... Captain? Captain? <laughs> While Captain Burnham leads an away mission to a planet that was once home to the aliens responsible for the DMA... Will Kentarkas secretly infiltrate the USS Discovery? This is the episode where everybody does shrooms. (laughs) (laughs) This is the episode where Booker becomes a stalker. Yeah, really creepy uh, hanging around behind the walls. He's frogging the Starship Discovery. Frogging? Yeah, there's a whole show about it on TV. It's P-H-R-O-G-G-I-N-G. And it's where people hang out hidden in someone else's place an episode i watched recently was a guy was living underneath someone's house like in their Uh crawl space for a while huh and they just they found him like reaching out one day (laughs) trying to grab something (laughs) grab a bite of dinner yeah it's way more common than i ever thought possible wow interesting 
So we open up and we actually get a captain's log. Yes, I do like the whole narration feel of the opening mm-hmm. of the episode. It never really occurred to me before that the captain in this capacity is just serving as a narrator. Mm-hmm. So it makes it gives me visions of like Jean-Luc Picard sitting next to my bed. <laughs> There's like a night table. There's like a, a small lamp on the night table that's on just enough for him to see the book that he's reading as he rocks in the rocking chair. Uh-huh. You know, reading me this story about once upon a time, the starship <laughs> Enterprise flew through the stars and found a planet. When it came upon this planet, the people revolted and were un- unhappy to see the Enterprise there. No. Or you know, so right wait, are you River Phoenix? Oh, what now? Uh, River Phoenix from uh, the um, shit. I was thinking Fred Savage from The Princess Bride. The, okay, Fred Savage. I'm sorry, <laughs> I got two actors confused, but oh. yes, from The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Yes. So and yeah, it's interesting because Patrick Stewart actually has done. Uh, voice narrator or book narration before yes he has he's very good at it i like when uh, will wheaton does it mm-hmm. also i like it when brent spinner does it spiner spiner okay i think that's how he pronounces it they have uh his book fan fiction on audible mm. i noticed that they got in a cameo of grudge on michael's bed which i don't think we've seen since booker gave michael grudge uh when he part they parted ways well, welcome back, Grudge. Yay. It's great to see you. Yes. So this hyperfield does this hyperfield make a little more sense to you now that we've seen it? So like the Tennessee live inside this this hyperfield. Yeah. Um. We'll we'll touch on on that a little bit more later in the beginning of the episode. Uh, oh, I thought we were in the beginning of the episode. Well, a little bit further into the beginning of the episode, the, okay. the teaser or Act One, but yeah. What did what did you think of the away team strut that they that we got from? Oh, you mean the Marvel like suits suit walk thing <laughs> that they did? Yeah, yeah, I mean it's got a whole name now, but yeah. Oh, we what have, is the uh, name of it? I I thought it was just the uh, superhero strut or whatever. Oh, okay, interesting. I had never heard of it. Yeah, we we uh, we have Burnham and Saru. And Detmersh joined shortly by uh, Culber. I guess they're going to shuttle down to the surface. Yeah, so this gas giant that the inhabitants lived on, you know, because we have like the little briefing at the front, right? Mm-hmm. They said that asteroids hit it, and they also said that the Dyson rings that are, I guess, are the Dyson rings around the gas giant, or are the Dyson rings in another place? I wasn't really clear on that. Well... From, they said that the, the the Dyson rings are made of the same material as the DMA controller. There, so they so they link the creator of the Dyson sphere with mm-hmm. the creator of the DMA controller. But I I really wasn't clear. Would was the were the Dyson rings around the gas giant and its star? What we see is the Dyson rings are around the star, uh-huh. and then we pan over to the Discovery in orbit around or hovering over the remains of the gas giant. Oh, so like they left the gas giant and went to go live on the Dyson Rings, perhaps? Is that the idea? Well, that's what I was uh, alluding to earlier. I wasn't sure. It was my understanding that, yeah, when you build Dyson Rings, you're going to live on the inside of the surface of those Dyson Rings. Yeah. And why do they even need the hyperfield if they, you know, have already left their planet? What's the Dyson Rings for if everybody, you know, 
why is there anybody still on the planet? Is there a caste system? Well, no, no. That, so, like, there isn't anybody left on the planet still. But I wonder if they, okay, just touching on some material later in the episode, they they raise their young. Perhaps they mm -hmm. birth their young on the planet, and then they live on the Dyson Sphere. Or that was the structure before, and then a whole bunch of asteroids came, and they moved into the hyperfield, which protects them from asteroids. Certain species do go to a specific nursery area where they have their young. It's a safe spot for them yeah. to have their young, but we it's do not that. I mean, not all of us, but a lot of us do. Yeah. Go to the same place to have our young. Yeah, we go to a hospital. It's a safe place. It's not necessarily a good place conducive for doing other business and activities of, of everyday life. Yeah. But it is a nice, good, safe place to have medical people available in case something goes wrong and other things like that. But I guess I understood that they were also living on the gas giant at the same time as the Dyson sphere. Oh, so maybe it was a, uh, maybe they lived on the gas giant and the Dyson sphere or um, Dyson rings rather. Well, I mean, I was confused. I thought maybe they were using the Dyson rings for something else that they weren't living there. Maybe they were just collecting the energy oh, from, from the star. Or maybe I they like be... that. I hadn't thought about that. That is, that makes a lot of sense. I think that Earl Grey fixed a thing. When I was thinking about it earlier, I thought it was I broke a thing, but I, I'm glad that you pointed out that oh well, they could have just had been using the planet after they left the planet. They still used it as a nursery. Yeah, I, I like what you came up with, which is they were using the Dyson rings to just to gather power, and that they were mm. living on the planet. I mean, it's just occurring to me now. Maybe it's mm -hmm. possible that they're using the Dyson rings to power the hyper field. Perchance. I get the idea that maybe the hyperfield was a reaction to the asteroid bombardment that destroyed a lot of their civilization. Um, so they created that hyperfield to make sure that they're protected from any future asteroid strikes or anything, you know, from outside their system. I, I guess I thought they were just generally protecting themselves from any outside people. I mean... I wasn't sure if the hyperfield was in this solar system. Is it orbiting the star? I, why isn't it? In, I thought the hyperfield was going to be like an actual Dyson sphere. It's just made out of an energy barrier instead of a solid sphere. I mean, it's not a solid sphere. The solidity on the outside, on the outer shell, is energy. But apparently, it's not encasing their own star. This seems to be true. Yeah. Maybe it's encasing a black hole or something. Hmm. Okay, but it's at yeah. least encasing the mechanisms of their wormhole. The worm they're using the wormhole to power it. Mm. They're getting the substance they're mining by dropping a drilling probe through a wormhole. Mm -hmm. So they don't really don't have to be encasing anything. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like except for the wormhole mechanism that pulls mm. their power in and powers the hyperfield. Okay. So Book and Tarka, when they sneak onto the ship, I'm I get really confused about. So their plan is to sneak on the ship. And they acknowledge that Zora is going to see them coming or see them aboard the ship. They're going to put in a patch to make it so that she can't see them, right? But how yeah. do they stop her from? How do they stop her from seeing them before they put the patch on? Is what I don't. Well, I didn't I, quite understand. I didn't understand that either. But I just realized I was noticing at the end of the episode that uh -huh. 
uh, Booker is wearing something on his arm, and it could have been more than just, say, a communicator or a, a com badge. But well, yeah, could... no, there was a moment in the episode when when Tarka put something on their arms and said, "This will stop Zora from seeing us while we're on the ship." Okay, but they were already close enough; like they had already like docked with the ship at the time. You remember how, like, during the episode, there were weird things going on? Like, Linus at one point came down and he was like, ah, the replicators are throwing hot steam bananas all over the promenade, or whatever he said. Yeah, yeah. The the replicators are malfunctioning. Yeah. I, wasn't I, that Tarka's Yeah, so I thought it was because of the patch, but... Mm. Oh, was he running a distraction before he put the patch in? Yeah, he needed the distraction oh. to get everybody out of engineering so he can get into engineering and install the patch. So you're saying that he interfaced with Zora and had Zora doing weird things before putting the patch in. Yeah, how did he avoid yeah, it's Zora very... noticing somebody hacking into the replicators? That question is only underscored by the fact that they pointed it out during the episode. Yeah. That she's going to notice someone jumping on her back. That didn't occur to me when I was watching the episode. I'm like, oh, he did, that's his distraction. Although sometimes... Zora doesn't necessarily speak up until or unless somebody else says something. I mean, something. if a ship attaches to Zora, Zora, you'd think Zora would be like, hey, somebody just attached a ship to me. Yeah, even the 24th century computer says "Yeah, proximity alert or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I mean, I, I, I granted that it's cloaked, but mm -hmm. I would think that Zora would be able to feel the pressure of it attaching to the hull. Unless it didn't attach to the hole, and it's just like extremely close. Yeah, it didn't. You'd think that she'd be able to read the energy signatures or something. I guess it's all cloaked. If the cloak's that good, I guess. Could be a phase cloak. Well, I mean, if they figured out the weakness back in the 23rd century of having a tailpipe, then maybe they by in a thousand years they figured out how to prevent the emissions from a tailpipe ruining your, your cloak. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> We are in the shuttle bay, right? And the yeah. president is asking about Saru. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, she cannot help but questioning. Like, this is what she does. She's always questioning someone's actions and then saying that she's not questioning, she's asking questions. Yeah. And she's and asking, like, are we sure Saru wants to go there? <laughs> well, she's questioning the 23rd century philosophy of having both your XO and CO on the same away deadly away mission too. yeah yeah i get that and then also you know burnham's able to point out that saru has in heightened senses right so yeah saru in this moment for me becomes like the data of the series <laughs> or jordy's eyes yeah absolutely yeah maybe yeah maybe a little bit more uh because he can do stuff too like he's really strong also run really oh, fast you're right. yeah, yeah. I don't understand why everyone's so upset with Harai when he's like, "Hey, don't screw it up." Like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really understand what everyone's what. Well, mainly the president, what the president's issue was with him through this episode. Yeah, um, except it was just, I don't know, a little bit more blunt and less emotional and less cheer uppy, saying, you know, give them encouragement and not just. Tell them don't screw it up. Knock them over. I mean, I suppose it seems to me very more more like realistic. Like he's just speaking realistically as mm -hmm. opposed to pessimistically. I mean, although yeah. I think that you and Dr. Harai would get along extremely well. <laughs> or we might not. We might be both 
too much in each other's face about just being realists. <laughs> oh, this is true. Sometimes realists or pessimists can't get along together in the same room. Why? Because they're constantly ca- contradicting each other's pessimism and digging deeper and... <laughs> or yeah. may- maybe they're all constantly yeah butting each other instead of yes ending each other <laughs> perhaps <laughs> yes perhaps they are doing that and doye also is giving their two cents as well and it's like why do politicians and other people of this nature have to keep on trying to meddle with the ship's yeah, affairs agreed i'm not really sure what's what her quarrel is mm-hmm. like she has an issue with what with whatever mission they're trying to trying yeah. to do and i'm not really following why i don't know her motivations in that yeah know? later on when she's talking to booker it's weird because she'll say you have to let diplomacy take its time and diplomacy sometimes is slow right which is in contradiction to what her character is sort of expressing now yeah but I did like how later, when she is talking to Booker, it kind of does give the writers the opportunity to expand on her character a little bit. Sure. Here, not so much, but this is a little bit of, like, what is going on here? Yeah. So when they when they start heading down and Burnham's in her, like, floating center seat, it, this <laughs> is like a thing that they've started doing is digitally erasing the support structures <laughs> of chairs yeah. so they can be floating. Yeah. Odd. Okay, so two things about the whole setup of this shuttlecraft, right? Well, uh-huh. actually, three things. So, so one thing I noticed was that I don't think there's any doors to the shuttlecraft. Like, they're always beaming yeah. in or out. Yeah. Okay, so that answers my question. Okay. The second thing <laughs> is that Burnham's seat, it's just like a, just like a floating seat in the middle of... <laughs> the shuttlecraft which is weird i mean i guess you put everyone in the rules that they're you know used to fulfilling so i guess that makes sense for burnham no mm-hmm. seat belts of course uh, and <laughs> then the other that. thing about it is that i like how the front of the shuttle is curved like just perfectly in line with the captain's little floaty Ooh. pedestal that they can okay. all just turn around and have a little conference table between them <laughs> that was pretty neat yeah that that was kind of cool it's the thing about like star trek is like a playground artists you know like mm-hmm. every piece of art that is represented on screen has been like seriously taken to the limit all the, <laughs> all the time in discovery like even those like there's yeah. a lot of background aliens that you know we probably yeah. don't mention a lot here yeah. in this forum but they d- often put a huge amount of work into them and then of course the visual effects they they never let down well you know they they get better and better also yeah you know we- from the tiny details of like erasing the support of a chair you know? yeah maybe they're just never sure which image is going to be used as a thumbnail for the show that's going to give away the least amount of information as spoilers yeah i mean every scene of a discovery is like a movie poster <laughs> i feel that way about the about discovery and i feel that way about strange new worlds yeah I, I, I see you there with Strange New Worlds. This The inside of the shuttle is very interesting. Did you notice that the name of the shuttle is plastered on both sides of the shuttle on the I, inside? I did not. What is it called? Well, it's just called Discovery 09. Oh, okay. It doesn't actually have a name. It just has, you know, a, the ship that it's identified with and the shuttle number that it That's is. That's unfortunate. Let's call it the Riker. um but it was just why why is the name of your shuttle on the inside of you know just so you know which one you're in just in just in case you get lost 
Okay. You when you beam on and you're like, oh crap, I'm in eight. <laughs> I'm standing too close to th- these two people, and they were going to eight, and I meant to go to nine. <laughs> do you think they have to put on the EV suits, or do they get put on while they're transporting over? Ooh, that would save some time. Well, apparently they have to put on their away team suits or uniforms too, because they did the whole strut down the hallway. Yeah, why did they even put those on if they were going to end up wearing the EV suits anyway? Why don't I just start with the EV suits? Are they a part of the EV suits? Are the EV suits? Oh, like maybe they push a button and they Iron Man out. Yeah, them? maybe. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. It's interesting. Once they get down to the planet, yeah, they, and they do all the dust walking. Yeah, just before that, they mm-hmm. cloak the shuttle, and the writers miss the opportunity to make a call back to Star Trek Four. When they don't land, don't forget where we parked. Don't forget where we parked. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I I was thinking that just when I was reviewing the episode just before today. Yeah, I think if they just tap tap on their communicator thing, it'll transport them right back. Right? They don't necessarily need to even know where they parked. Well, true. Assuming mm. that they're within range of the yeah, you're right. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it makes it really easy to not have to remember where you. But that would be great. You leave yeah. the restaurant and you just tap tap, and you're back in your car. Yeah, that's Ooh, excellent. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or even in a bigger parking lot, it'd be especially useful at say an amusement park. Oh yeah, and they should make it so you can tap tap to the like front door of the store. <gasps> Ooh, why? Like from wherever you are in the parking lot. Yeah. Like those arches right. at Starfleet where you can just walk the room and you're at the front Ooh. or wherever else you want to be. Yeah. Is it possible that the heightened senses of Saru also heightened his experience? Like what he was feeling when he was feeling these dread of... Yeah, well, one thing that I'm sure of is that because the feelings have become so unfamiliar to him that it's probably is heightened, at least because of that anyway. Yeah. But it is probably like a raw nerve, you know, that's just not Mm. usually plucked. So then it gets plucked and it's like, you know, yeah, I I do think it's a little stronger for him with the heightened senses and all that on top of it. Okay. Because he's lived this before, this kind of fear of constant death is imminent that he's experiencing through these ghosts yeah for me that's when i knew that's when i felt the episode turning was when mm. saru's like i sense the coming of death because you don't put those words in this character's <laughs> mouth unless something is about to happen Ooh, yeah another cloaked ship so there's multiple mm. cloaked ships in this episode the next one mm-hmm. being book and tarka yeah where they they come and they uh they cloak the ship and that's when i think tarka gives uh, book the little device on his arm to camouflage the bioscience. Okay. Right around the time, like book is having this whole uh, conversation about his is pre pre pre. What is it? Are they pregrets? Is that what he's having? <laughs> like <laughs> preemptive doubts about what they're gonna do or regret? <laughs> like, ooh, that's a good word. Thank you. You have to write uh, Webster on that one. I'll I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> I like that pregrets. Well, he he's what ifing. I think people call it what ifing. Okay. Yeah. The transport duck joke mm. may have fallen a little flat in this episode, only because I thought it was pretty clear mm-hmm. when Book was crouched down. Like if Book were crouched down and he was like, "Let's go transport," I would crouch down lower than him. 
<laughs> Arca was like yeah, a little my... bit higher than him. Like I would make yeah. sure that okay, I'm gonna make sure I'm inside the range that you're in, just in case something happens to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, Booker also gets to use he gets his moment as getting to just kind of whack him on the upside of the head. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Look what you've gotten me into. It's like he's doing that like shifting norms thing, you know, where he's just like tweaking it a little bit more. Like every time it's just like a little bit more, I'm going to make it a little bit more crazy that you have to go along with it, you know? <laughs> okay, so they scan the, the bones, right, that are on the surface. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Colbert determines that the creatures floated in gas layers. Yes. So I are they supposed to be like some sort is it like some sort of exoskeleton are they birds are they the creatures aren't there like floating things all around them are those them are they like dead ones of them of the 10 C? I think that these are corpses just floating there that's gross it, yeah why aren't they scanning them it's almost like they're acting like they don't even see them floating well, there like no one addresses the fact that there's these floating bodies just like moving around yeah, other than the fact that the script doesn't tell them to acknowledge them in the first place. Right. It's It seems strange, though. <laughs> it does. They yeah. did mention that we're in a graveyard or in a tomb, so maybe they're trying to be a little bit more respectful. Sure, but scan them, at least. We don't know how the 10C might interpret even just scanning your dead. Huh. This is hallow ground for the 10C. Huh. You know, they might, you know, be planning a memorial you know, or, or getting building a plaque or something to put an orbit around this planet. Hmm. Okay. Well, all right. I'll take that one. Earl Grey <laughs> fixed the thing. Many water dwelling life forms util utilize gas bladders in order to help keep them exactly at the level of the water. They use gas bladders. Yeah. Yes. Not utilize. Okay. Do you know why? I thought they were synonyms of each other. Oh, yes. Most people do. They are not synonyms of each other. Oh, okay. So the word use is when you are using something for the purpose th that it was created. Okay. Right? And when you when you are utilizing something, you mm. are putting it to a purpose that's beyond its intended purpose. So using a screwdriver as a hammer. That would be utilizing a screwdriver. Ah, okay. So many water-dwelling life forms use gas bladders uh, in order to keep them <laughs> right at the level of water where they need to be. Yes, they do. And if you think about like a helium balloon, as it just sits there in your apartment or whatever, if you keep, take it home with you, it takes time for all of the helium to leave to the point where it's just a flat bladder on the floor of your apartment. This is a factual statement. <laughs> I, I have one floating now in the on the railing between the kitchen and the living room it's been there since november 11th and Ooh, or maybe okay. november 13th and it is uh -huh. it's just starting to wrinkle so yeah and you know so these these animals are designed to float in their atmosphere of whatever the atmosphere is they're designed <laughs> to float in the atmosphere <laughs> cool and methodical wait i'm sorry so it, even though it's been a thousand years since all these beings died, like probably instantaneously, hopefully. Yes. Well, apparently not, because they had time to experience fear. But maybe some of that fear was knowing that it was coming and not being part of the away team to leave the planet. Yeah, or or needing to stay behind and keep the babies calm Safe. or something. Yeah. 
because I noticed that later when they go inside the chamber, all they feel is love. Like they didn't Ooh. feel the last moments of like some babies, you know, screaming and yeah. agony that they're dying, you know? You're right. So maybe the people stayed outside just to, you know, help keep the babies mm-hmm. calmed. That's a good phrase. There should be a, that's, that would make a good song title. What is that phrase? All you need is love. All you need is love. Oh, it is a song. Okay. That's it. Love zone. <laughs> that's funny. Yes, we, we made up a song. It's organic. Yay. Yeah, so there's an implied scene, I think, that we're discussing here that mm. is is like a flashback of these. For some reason, in my head, they're brontosauri. <laughs> like <laughs> okay. hanging outside of the cave and then inside uh-huh. are the eggs and the young ones. And there's some, in you know, there's some adults taking care of them and rocking them and keeping them comfortable and then like the whole thing hits and the people outside die and then everybody inside dies also okay but still everybody inside was was still filled with love in the last moment yeah ooh cool well when Sarus first starts to hallucinate I thought I saw something very eldritch horror like like a Cthulhu kind of thing oh there was like a furry tentacle or a feathery tentacle sort of thing mm-hmm. is that what you mean yeah yeah and the creatures that are just hovering in the nursery almost yeah, look like cephalopods to me like octopuses or squid yes they do look like octopuses octopi octopuses octopuses I don't know <laughs> And some futurists Futurist. have predicted that long after we've left the planet or go extinct, or, there's a better term for it, but you know, they, they predicted that maybe uh, cephalopods could be the next most intelligent creatures on this planet once you know the time of the mammals has passed. Ooh. Because cephalopods are a very extremely intelligent species, and they're one of the most alien species to ourselves on this planet that there is. Yes. So, I mean, some people even take it as far as speculating that maybe they even are an alien species that got panspermiaed to our planet maybe sometime in our distant past, you know, after primates were already beginning to evolve. So And spermiated. So, okay, so maybe (laughs) they live under the Earth's crust and that's their spaceships we keep seeing coming around. And they're just coming out and checking us out sometimes. And their ancestors oh, are the jellyfish that live, jellyfish and octopi and stuff that live down there now. Not jellyfish, but octopi. Oh, you're talking about like when we see UFOs on our planet? Yeah, yeah. Because they have to be from our planet, right? Especially if the aliens get out and walk around, they have to be from our planet, right? Because um, of the gravity? They have to be from a Class M planet. They have yeah. to be from a planet that's exactly the same size as ours, too. Because of the gravity? Yeah, oh, right, yeah. Mm. The gravity of the situation? okay (laughs) there was a lot of gravity pushed into the situation of doing a simple 3D crossword puzzle Mm. as the president (laughs) and Dr. Harai are having two entirely different conversations at the outset Oh, what were they? They had two different conversations. Yeah, because he was talking about a crossword puzzle and she was talking about the mission Mm. and what she needed him to do. 
do you think that she figured out the answer but used what she wanted to talk about as a way to leading to the answer well the answer the end of the answer was obligation yeah and i don't understand how like adjusting your attitude has to do with like is he, he has he has no i don't i don't think you have any obligation to be you know optimistic nice to if people? you're not yeah like i don't think that's necessarily Uplifting? an obligation yeah the, i don't exactly all that stuff i don't think that it's that that's necessarily an obligation so i don't really feel like the messaging she was giving him had to do with the answer on the crossword puzzle mm. because she was asking him for interpersonal stuff but the mm -hmm. crossword puzzle and the talk about mission and obligation and stuff like that was talking you know about you know doing the job mm -hmm. as opposed to you know in interacting with other people what is his job? I mean, he is kind of a diplomat, but he's not just a diplomat like the presidents are or uh, the general are. Is I don't recall. I feel like maybe he's a, some sort of uh, a lingual, Linguist? lingual, lingual specialist or okay something like xenolingual something person. Mm, okay, that's sort of what I. That's remember there was a conference where Kovich introduced him as something along those lines. Yeah, you're right. He's like a proxy for for Kovic at this at this time. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think oh. that I could actually see his character if if I thought of Kovic being in this role mm -hmm. instead of it being Doctor Harai. Yeah, it might make a lot more sense. And I think I would have. I think that the conversation between Ko if if this conversation between Harai and the president, you know, where he's doing the crossword puzzle. Uh huh. If that had been Kovic sitting there doing the crossword puzzle, and the president came up and talked to him about his attitude. Uh -huh. That would make a lot more sense to me. Like that would be a lot more poignant. But maybe he wasn't available for this episode, and that's why they proxied that, Doctor Harayan. That's what I was just gonna say is that they maybe wrote Doctor Harai because they knew they figured out late in the season yeah. that the performer for Doctor Kovach wasn't going to be available for like this episode and the last half of the first episode or last yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Interesting. We're gonna. We're gonna have to get the the Blu-ray sets and and watch again <laughs> and do another review uh -oh. of the episodes after we watch the Blu-ray and the deleted scenes. The deleted scenes and the uh, commentary. We'll have to give commentary on the commentary. No, oh, yes, that'll be great. <laughs> I would like to give a little commentary on Book and Tarka creeping around the starship yeah. and watching people have conversations. So there's cameras everywhere, apparently inside the discovery. Well, cause they're watching Indoye and Tarina on, I guess in the mess hall. How do sensors work? They're right on the other side of the wall. So how are they making the wall clear? Yeah. I think that the, again, I think this, these were artistic choices. Like, I don't think that they were, Uh huh. but I don't know because then also later when book is on the other side of the wall with Michael, it did seem like he was, he seemed to indicate that he was on the other side of the wall from her. Yeah, because as he's standing up, he touches the wall as if he's reaching out to comfort Michael. Right, but the walls are, aren't the walls like very thick? Are they bulkheads on a starship? Well, yeah, they're bulkheads. They're certainly... It's not like drywall. Yeah, there's certainly, what, at least... Like a foot between them, at least. Okay, I was going to speculate a six inches, but your number makes better sense. Okay. Because I guess, yeah, my walls are maybe well maybe they're only four inches but yeah why are there not cameras in the jeffries tubes like if if you wanted to be secure about things and put cameras all yeah. over the ship you would put them inside the jeffries tubes otherwise all your enemies would say hey listen <laughs> they never put cameras in their jeffries tubes look we just beam uh -huh. in right here we beam all our forces <laughs> into the jeffries tubes yeah. and they'll never know 
They have yeah. no cameras in there. It's crazy. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Tap, they don't tap. even have heat sensors. <laughs> Apparently not. Yes. <laughs> you can just if you can really just put these things on your arm and infiltrate any Starfleet ship, then there's a problem. I mean, other than the fact that suppose you know they they kind of hand waved it away a little bit by saying, well, book. Even Booker says the reason you I have to go with you is I know Michael, I know the ship, and you don't know the ship, so he kind of might know where the sensor weaknesses are. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Earl Grey may have fixed another thing. You gotta be careful. There's only four Earl Grey fix the oh. theme themes per episode. Yeah. Well, there's only oh. four different sounds to it. So. Oh, okay. You got I mean, one more. It's like in the heist movie where they're waiting for the camera to point the other way as it's panning. You know, it can only look in one direction at a time, but it still yes. has to pan and watch the whole corridor. Mm -hmm. So you just got to wait and just kind of sneak under the camera and then wait for it to be pointing the other way so you can continue on down yeah, the corridor. I think that cameras in the <laughs> 32nd century might work a little differently than that. You're right. Definitely. I mean, it seems like they would. Another thing, in addition to the art that Star Trek Discovery tends to do, is they tend to ramp up the tension. Uh huh. And I'm thinking that this is the episode. This is the season of the Tensi. <laughs> this is the Tensi season. Okay. Because of the tension. Yeah. I don't know. Is that something? <laughs> oh, Tensi! I get yeah. it now. Oh, yeah. that's clever. Thank you. That was that. It was. It's on them. They they did yeah. it. It's a tense situation yes yeah exactly uh... tense <laughs> and they just this has been the whole episode just being tense and did i ever ask you who the 10a are and who the 10b are and why are they closely related to the 10c enough that they are on the same number well no i don't think you have but that i that's something i've wondered before and who are the 9a through z yeah, who are the and nine? Are the eight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and why are there only ten? There's only ten unknowns. So, like, if they, if they, if one of the, if one of the species becomes known, does it? Mm -hmm. Do they knock it off the list and then they reuse that number again? Would that get confusing? Because otherwise, there would. There's only. There's only. I'm confused about how numbers work. Oh, maybe that's why there's ten and C of them. Maybe some have been knocked off the list, but they don't reuse the names. So at point, one point, the Zindi were probably, I don't know, 1A. Okay. And But although they did turn out to be like 1A through D. Yes. So like, okay, so like the Vulcans are species 1A, right? Mm -hmm. And the Klingons are species 1B. And who's next? Andorians? Or, yeah, Andorians would be 1C. I mean, we'd have to know of a presence. There'd have to be some other footprint. Oh, maybe they would see their ships flying by, but they haven't met them yet or something. Okay, so we don't reuse the numbers. You think they just, they're just incrementing and we've gone all the way past like 1A to Z and 2A to Z and yeah. we're just on the, we're on the 10th order of species that we've met. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That sounds good. You know, Book and Tarka make a big mistake here early on in their, in their own away mission. Oh, do tell. Every role-playing game, tabletop role-playing game fan no knows, never split the party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole split. <laughs> I mean, as soon as they split up, I was pretty convinced that they were going separate ways, so to speak, so to speak. I think that's the Ooh. metaphor here. Like, oh. they definitely were going separate ways because a Book really wanted to do more peaceful actions. And Tucker yeah. really wanted to do more mischievous and, like, too much actions. 
Well, that speaks into when Booker is making talking to Endoye. He makes a promise that he can't necessarily guarantee because he doesn't know how Tarka is going to react to. Yeah, he's already seen Tarka violate the terms of agreement by setting off the the DMA bomb. Yeah. You know, the one before. So I don't know why he thinks he can speak for Tarka's actions at all. Yeah. Like he's already done the ultimate one that he wasn't supposed to do. So I, I, I don't know why he made that promise in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of odd. Maybe he thought he could control the situation or control Tarko a little better for some reason. I, yeah. I don't have any evidence that indicates <laughs> that that's true. Just like I'm not sure that it's true that they're experiencing the same visions down on the planet. Um, Burnham asks him, how is it we're experiencing the same visions? And I don't know that they are. Like, they didn't really discuss that. I, I wonder if right. there is a scene oh. that's deleted where they confirm that they're experiencing the same visions. Because they didn't really talk about what they were seeing. They talked really more about emotions. Yeah, that they're all f experiencing fear. And I think Saru described what he was seeing, but nobody else ever really did. You're right. That's a good question. But I was just wondering, when they do all experience the love on the inside of the nursery, uh -huh. is there like a... Uh, thing where people do their own kind of drug orgy kind of thing is this a is that a drug or orgy well i don't know well i don't know why you would call it an orgy because no one's having sex but <laughs> well. there is a thing where people like like with shrooms for example which is, they yeah. appear to be doing in this episode <laughs> uh, you know you don't want to do them alone and you kind of uh, want to like have company when you do it. And so I have a friend of mine, I don't know who's who's done shrooms before. He's texting me live right now about this. And <laughs> he's he tells me that you know generally people do do it together and uh -huh. when people do it alone they generally have like bad experiences. Like oh. it's good to have a co-pilot with you when you're doing that kind of thing cuz you don't want to you know be watching a village of Smurfs in the grass <laughs> on the campus of VCU by yourself. You, know, you want to have somebody to share the experience with you, oh. he says by text. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Sort of like Adira has a new friend with her in Janet Reno, <laughs> who's decided Janet Reno, that's not her name. Her name is Jet Reno. Jet, Jet Reno, Reno decides to uh, take up Adira. I, Jet, Jet Reno is suggesting that Adira wants to jump Detmer's bones are is that what that's <laughs> suggesting here I I'm not sure because at the end of the episode I was asking is is gray flirting with Detmer oh you mean Adira why do I get their names confused all because the they were the same person for a while well they have the same trill name Tal. Tal. yeah yes I mean I guess it's not their last name they're not Correct. married or or related yep Adira's whole thing actually is having a fear of doing the thing, like no matter what the thing is. Mm -hmm. Is that like a generalized anxiety disorder? Is that what we're portraying without saying it that Adira yeah. has? Because even when Adira is like fly well and then she gets all weird about it. Fly good, yeah. It's like, well, you can say that however you want, just because it's not how people typically say it. It doesn't matter. The the sentiment is still there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And later on, Adira is talking about it with, I thought Stamets, but it might have been Reno, yeah. where the person that they're talking to, whether it's Stamets or Reno, says, Detmer isn't always, you know, the cool-headed person that you think she is all the time. Yes, this was Reno. Mm -hmm. And then they even show that later when she's experiencing the love emotion and she's not 
receiving it the same way as Michael and Saru and, and, and Culver are. Yeah, I thought that was really neat of them to show that people experience this same emotion in different mm-hmm. ways based on their own personal experiences. Yeah. Well, and it, it was a good opportunity for some character development for Detmer a little bit, as well as some character development for uh, Saru a little bit, because it reminded us that he hasn't experienced, like with the fear, he hasn't experienced the Vaharai or... or Vaharai. Mm-hmm. The, the ganglia experience, the yeah. death is coming experience for what over a year now yeah it's been a while since that whole thing happened it's been quite a while i mean i guess it's been 900 and some odd years yeah it's been a thousand years almost since he had his ganglia it sure has (laughs) so we do learn a little bit more about detmer's past and i do appreciate that and then we do see directly you know direct now of course adira doesn't get to see that although she'll probably learn about it at the end of the episode when they're in the lounge together she'll tell her about her day yeah we're really bad on star trek about uh characters as parents Mm. like no one just has like you know they were raised by two parents that loved them and took care of them and lived and are still alive (laughs) well maybe tom paris maybe him oh you know but because his parents are so good he had to be all broken right there's always some brokenness in yeah in family in star trek well i mean that's that's drama that's the way drama works if the future is as perfect as they always write it to be then why what's the point that there's no drama in that thanks gene (laughs) (laughs) appreciate your So now that we have field programmed these EV suits to keep out the hydrocarbons so we can keep ourselves together. Yes. uh, Let's say we take a little break and then we'll be able to come back. And uh, after, say, I don't know, two minutes, we'll, uh, we'll be able to come back and wrap up this episode. Great. Wonderful. Let's go to break. We'll be right back. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jack from Two Minute Trek. I watch Shrek with my dad and then we review it in two minutes. So, if you'd like your podcast to be shorter than a trip on a turbo lift, search up Two Minute Trek wherever you listen to. Let's talk about Treks. Rustling papers, rustling papers. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. Thank you. Welcome back, you. Welcome, thank you again. (laughs) Have you had this sort of adolescent friendship where you connect on like the hopelessness of life this is like the this is um how book connects to indoye i haven't had a whole lot of meaningful friendships at all in the first place i think i missed out on that particular experience connected on the hopelessness of life rather than other other things yeah you haven't really missed much <laughs> I don't think they're enduring friendships, which is, I think, what <laughs> book is building here—a friendship that n- yeah. is not enduring. Because the longer life goes on, the less hopeless you can be, Ooh. or the more hopeless, because you know you're reaching the end. <sighs> no, oh, sorry, did sure. I sure. No, I mean, if you want to be pessimistic <laughs> as you are, <laughs> sure, yes, that is <laughs> no, the I way you can choose to, to look funny. at it. Okay, so do you have this other thing that they talk about in this episode where they're talking about like the sense of knowing that a family member is around or knowing how they're how they're feeling? Uh, yeah, I think my relationship with my mom and my new stepdad is 
quite a bit like that. Oh, you mean like where Detmer is talking about? Yeah. Not unless I'm with in the room with her, and you know, and she's telling me, "Oh, I did, you know, did PT today, and they pushed me so hard, or something like that." Well, because I could always tell, you know, like I always knew who was home. Uh-huh. I was, I think I tie that to a sense of smell. I think that <laughs> it's weird because I always got the idea in my head that you know males worked more on a sense of smell. I think it's because of the association with dogs or vice cats. Um, but my my mother has this this supreme sense of smell that I just don't have. I think that yeah, I think I, that I've heard that females have better sense of smell. Yeah, I, I think I've heard, experienced that as well because there'll be things that I can walk into a room and not smell anything, yeah. and mom can zero yeah. it right in on yeah. my sweaty socks. It's like where like, what sweaty socks? My mom too, and I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> about? It smells fine in here. Yeah, I don't get it. I remember I had a roommate once back when I did have dogs and they were older dogs and kind of like older people. They kind of have an old people or old dog smell. Your dog smelled like pee pee? No, just like. Like a faint pee pee smell? (laughs) No, not. Okay. They described it as like when people get older, they don't lose as many skin cells as they usually do. So just, you know, microscopic layers of dead skin is just hanging on them. So you just have the dead skin cells just there. So it's, I guess, a decaying smell. Okay. That's better. (laughs) So you're saying that old people smell like death. (laughs) This is what I'm just trying to clarify here. Uh, no. Um, and and this roommate swore up and down they could smell my dogs Mm -hmm. and I didn't smell anything just them being in the room I couldn't smell anything I'd have to Uh, bury my nose between their shoulders in order to smell anything mm, of them at all I think that Febreze calls that being nose blind to things Ooh, well yeah I mean I guess yeah maybe I used more Febreze than I other people do i don't know interesting okay <laughs> do you think that the value of life is a cultural context because that's what culber says you know the, the saru's like oh they value life they value their you know because they're in there taking that care of their young and then yeah. culber's like oh cultural context we can have like a, a basis of communication with them but i don't know that care for the young is a cultural context unless we're saying that all animals on this most animals on this planet have like a particular culture is that culture the way that animals live is that Um, their culture some sometimes it can be yeah sharks just give birth to live young that are perfectly capable on their own and they just swim away and the young goes their own way because one thing sometimes they'll turn around and eat eat each other so sharks don't nurture their young Mm -hmm. as one example Will they eat their young if the young don't get away fast enough? Or like if they encounter them later and they're small enough and they're hungry oh. enough? Oh, sometimes, oh. yeah. Okay. But like some dinosaurs or lot, I mean primates, and most many birds care for their young. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is a connection with that. And then they're also kind of saying, just because they're extra galactic and they have you know they don't look anything like other humanoids and and it goes also to what uh, Detmer was saying Mm -hmm. that there is an emotional context there she says uh, maybe some emotions are universal and I got to thinking well we already know that some emotions are universal because we know that other animals experience fear we know that other Mm -hmm. animals experience basic emotions 
elephants have ex- uh, <laughs> depicted themselves as well, experiencing grief and love. Sure, absolutely. I think that what you're describing, though, is that emotions are terrestrial as opposed to universal. Yeah, and I realized that as I was thinking about oh, that, I was just okay. getting to that, is that my context is based on my planet. And mm. yeah, I've seen other animals on my planet experience sim- similar emotions now in star trek we've seen other humanoid animals experiencing uh, emotions mm-hmm. and we kind of have the idea that species 8472 experiences similar emotions to us mm, okay but these are a completely extra galactic extra alien terrestrial species that yeah. I, I'm guessing you probably already know. I'm guessing these are not humanoid. They're probably not even tripod. And if I had to guess, like they've already indicated, they're probably a little bit more like cephalopods, eight okay. legs or however many. So, yeah, that Detmer is saying, and Michael is also in a way saying too, is that this is a way we can connect and say we do have a similarity no matter how different we are there's another similarity that i just noticed in that uh when they have the whole you know it feels like love scene you know and they're all like getting high <laughs> yeah. on shrooms or whatever saru <laughs> connects with detmer on sort of a lack of love so it's yeah it's sort of a parallel to how like book and book book a moment ago was trying to connect with Indoye on hopelessness and Saru's effectively connecting with Ooh. Detmer on, you know, a lack of love, a shared understanding of what a lack of love is like. Okay. Interesting. Like, do, do you have those things in your, in your history where like you just, you, you have the memories of like just being surrounded with love and stuff. Um, I've heard that serial killers don't have that. I'm not a serial killer. Are you sure? What do you I mean, point? not yet. How do you know? Well, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming you are correct. <laughs> Book checks in with Tarka, and Tarka is just installing the patch. Right, yeah. So that's when I'm like, what was the practical joking about? Like, how was he doing that without Zora noticing before he put the patch in? It's, it's really... It's a really convoluted part that I just confuses me every time they bring it up. They could have left that out and I wouldn't uh-huh. have really noticed. Yeah, I don't I don't know why they need to yeah. Well, I don't maybe it was just a reason for Ru Ruan to be in a place where yeah. Reno can find him. Well, you know, yeah. Like that's he's gotta go too. somewhere and tinker with things. Maybe the whole mm-hmm. point was just to get him on the ship so he could so he could kidnap Reno. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I didn't think about it from that perspective. What you bring up Reno though and him in ending up taking her or or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is she think I wonder if maybe she just kind of went willingly thinking, "Hey, I can figure out these guys plans and then sp- spy on them?" Yeah, we didn't really see how all that went down, so I don't know yeah. what it was, but I do I from the from the idea of Reno's character, it seems like that's likely what she was planning was to go along and be there until she could stop the thing if there was a thing yeah. that she needed to stop uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe now are they in cahoots together and she's like you know i i kind of agreed with you uh, guys and i <laughs> i don't think so i don't think that she was gonna go or at least pretending undercover kind of stuff yeah no i don't think that she would go outside of shannon command and i don't think that mm. if if she tried to pretend like they would believe it i don't i, I don't get the sense that she's a good actress Oh, okay. Well, how do you know she's going out of the, outside of she the seems, chain of command? She seems because the chain of command is saying 
you know, we're doing the, it this way. And if she's going along with Tarka's plan, then she's going outside of the chain of command. So that's why I'm saying she's not do, probably doing that. Maybe she has orders from other higher-ups on the chain of command. <laughs> I'm just playing. So, I'm sorry. I should... <laughs> so Kayla apologizes for feeling while she was on drugs. Right. I didn't understand why Michael didn't want her to finish. Yeah. I. Oh, you mean when she's telling the whole story? Yeah. When, when, when she cuts her. Yeah. I was confused about that as well. If Nobody you finish really that knew. sentence, I'm going to demote you. Oh, the part about, yeah, where she was. Oh, that part. Yeah. She was apologizing. Yeah. Because it seems silly that she's apologizing for expressing yeah. her feelings. Like that that's yeah. that's the whole thing. This whole episode is basically is literally like just talking about your feelings. I can yeah. see how some some of the anti-woke crowd would be against discovery because this is an example <laughs> of that that should burn them up inside because it's literally just <laughs> the crew walking around talking about their feelings. Mm. Like yeah, like when Saru's right. like we wouldn't we wouldn't be who we are if we did not experience what we did. Yeah, which which ties back to like a lot of times people are doing stuff like uh, Oaxaca in order to clear like the demons out of their mind, not literal demons, but like clear the the air mm -hmm. in their mind and like sort of reset themselves and you know be more confident and do things that they want to do with life. Mm -hmm. Which again doubles down on the idea that they just all had like a little shroom trip together. <laughs> Well, they definitely did have a shared experience, and it definitely in heightened their awareness for a moment. Or yeah, yeah. Changed yeah. their perspective. Yeah, one interesting way that it heightened Culver's awareness was he was like, he was like, oh, maybe we can't communicate the, with the the Tensi. You know, what if we're basically like mosquitoes and they're out fishing? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the situation yeah. that we're in right now is that the the lure that the tendency you're using you know it's like a lure on the end mm -hmm. of a fishing line the tendency you're standing there fishing and we're now a mosquito flying up around their face like why would they would if they don't even notice us you know or even or even just the the fish coming up and saying hey we don't appreciate you trying to pick us off one by one oh yeah yeah <laughs> i do think that like probably the last three episodes mm -hmm. are spent with Saru asking Tarina out and Tarina asking Saru out and them like figuring out how they're going to be dating. So we have to put in this episode, the obligatory Tarina asking Saru out again. I think they weren't sure what was going to end up on the cutting room floor. And then like none of them ended up on the cutting room floor. Well, I, I liked how, you know, President Tarina did it. They're, it's like they're asking Saru on a date, but they're cloaking it in the logical disguise of for your mental health, of course. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's how you do it yeah. as a Vulcan. <laughs> you know, your my neural pathways have become accustomed to yours, to your presence, Ooh. rather. <laughs> and I like how Stamets does the little... Stamets got a Stamets, but he does the little side-eye, and he's like, I totally wouldn't can see through what's going on here. Yeah, Stamets and Burnham have this whole conversation, and it seems to me that they're really not talking about anything, but it does... <laughs> established that they're cool with each other again without them actually addressing that yeah. you know like they're just talking about a thing uh, at work and it's not like he's holding any grudges about you know the bubble from before oh right yeah, yeah. like two seasons ago yeah well I, I think it was last season it oh. was the it was the the uh the burn season oh yeah you're right okay i have a question i have an answer 
if everybody was against them, quote, wasting time, well, not everybody, mostly Endoye. If Endoye was against them wasting time on going to find the Rosetta Stone, why wouldn't anybody argue against wasting more time sending a fleet of dots down now to go and get more of the shroom dust? Well, why would you want to? I don't think they're gathering the shroom dust. Well, they were, I mean, unless they're planning on selling drugs later. Perhaps that is part of the plan. They they discovered like I think it was like twenty some odd uh, hydrocarbons. Yeah, yeah. Which so is we basically gotta, the we got to create a translation matrix. Oh, maybe that's how they justified it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, we'd already seen how. So I, I guess we're supposed to assume that maybe Andoye did object again, but Michael said, oh, "Well, hey, if we all we know is their." you know how they communicate we don't want to know what their words are yeah we don't know the visual component we just know the pheromonal component right now so we got to gather as many of the different pheromones as we can so we Mm. can try to string together a language okay book is definitely a creep and Ndoye (laughs) definitely helped him be a creep it's really wild yeah oh yeah she's she's like he's like yeah thanks for telling me where she was at yeah (laughs) so you go spy on her burnham has a lot of like like one-on-one conversations with people like rounding out uh-huh. you know their the little their their tiny little pieces of story uh-huh. in this episode especially towards the end and she goes to to Culber and mm-hmm. they're talking about Mavi which is a, a Puerto Rican tea mm. so that she can talk about therapy mm. <laughs> cuz they're talking about empathy mm-hmm. you know and also intolerance i've had a an issue understanding something recently where people are talking about how you cannot tolerate intolerance okay which i think was around a lesson that they feel that it's felt that germany learned because germany tolerated some intolerance for a while and then it became the fuhrer and then it became the whole nazi party Mm -hmm. because they sort of looked the other way when it was building oh okay but i also feel like in some instances you have to tolerate intolerance i think that i say that coming from my own perspective of living my own life and learning that in some instances i have to tolerate intolerance so it's hard for me to see the situation of not tolerating intolerance because tolerating intolerance has been like something that has kept me safe i think can you expand on what do you mean by tolerating intolerance? So, like with people, like with the with the Germany example, it was a, it's around mm-hmm. racism or anti-Semitism more directly. Uh huh. For me, there's been in my life in several situations an undercurrent of racism. Okay. And in order to achieve in a situation where that element exists, I have to tolerate that intolerance. If I speak out against it, then I won't be able to continue moving onward and upward in that situation. Kind of like when my mom says, well, don't stir the waters. Yeah. Just coast through and tolerate it until you can get beyond that. Right, right. So that's that's tolerating intolerance, which is something that I've found necessary. Sometimes we have to lift a, lift ourselves up above that intolerance and know that we are better that, than that, those that are Well, that that is also true. But the tolerating intolerance is different than overcoming intolerance. Mm. Like tolerating is just like when it's when it's permeating and when it's around you, just like, you know, keeping your head down and, and ignoring it, basically. So it's hard okay. for me to get around, get my brain around the idea of we shouldn't tolerate intolerance because I don't know how to do that because I I, mo- I know more how to tolerate it. You know what I mean? Because that's what the world has taught me. 
So okay. that's why it's a difficult thing for me to to grok. I get the idea behind it, but in practice, it doesn't seem possible. <laughs> okay, so you're saying you're you're kind of wrestling with being intolerant of the intolerant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that feels foreign to me because it's the opposite of what I've had to learn to do, right? Yeah. Okay. But you're talking about like just cooperating, even though you know it's a, a DWI. You're just going to cooperate and what? let a driving while black. Oh, no, that's yeah. DWB. Okay. Yeah, DWB. I'm sorry. Right. You can't speak out against it because if you speak out against it, you might end up dead. Under arrest or dead. Yeah. Yeah. You just let it slide by for now and cooperate, let, accept the ticket and be polite about it. And then you can always maybe fight it in court later. Yeah, I mean, you can, maybe you can, or maybe you live in a place where, like, all those things are interconnected with, like, the same people. So, you know, you can't do anything about it because once you start making waves, you start making waves and there's going to be a storm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Centered yeah. on you. Yeah. And you don't need that. You need yeah. to progress and get right. beyond that. And get away from it. Right. So, some, yeah. yeah. So, that's the thing that I just have trouble understanding. I, I, maybe one day I'll learn how to not tolerate intolerance but it's it's just a, it's a i guess it's a learning curve that's involved there mm. okay i was very surprised though when mm -hmm. finally we see reno again and it's you know book walks in and you do to do to do oh my god wait reno's here yeah where'd you come from <laughs> it almost seemed like they just decided to tack on the cliffhanger at the end yeah they're like how are we gonna end this episode yeah it's like a cliffhanger just popped up out of nowhere. Well, so here's a question that I was wondering. Mm -hmm. Why didn't Zora report that Reno was missing? That is a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. It would be strange that the chief engineer was not on the ship. Well, and beamed away when there wasn't a reason for them to be beamed away. This is correct. Maybe it's something that Tarka did with the patch so that whatever they do is covered up automatically. Oh, okay. Perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think she walks in on uh, surprise parties often? Often, yes, very often. Oh, That's what okay. she does. And then she seems entirely nonplussed about it. <laughs> is Gray flirting with Detmer at the end of the scene? Adira the is trying to learn how to be Detmer's friend. Oh, I'm sorry. As discussed earlier with Reno. Oh, okay. If you were uh, trapped inside of a Tesla, then you couldn't get the doors open. And it was on, you know, full automatic drive. And it was driving toward a wall that's a quarter of a mile away at like 60 miles an hour and it would only stop and unlock the doors and let you out if you rated this episode <laughs> from one to ten I was like where are you going with this what number would you give it you know this episode was kind of odd to me it seemed like you could fit the plot into the length of time of a lower decks episode okay interesting it was stretched out a little bit oh the lower I, the the shroom scene would have been a lot more fun on lower decks <laughs> well yeah that's true too yeah. i think that uh but i mean i kept on trying to take notes and i kept on jumping forward in my notes and saying oh and next they do oh nope they don't not yet gonna mm -hmm. wait for that they push past that i'm really wrestling with this episode i'm gonna say probably a six Okay. All right. That's cool. I can accept that. I, I can see the, the difficulties that you have described here. Uh, I, however, I'm going to give this episode an 8.3. Mm. 
I thought it was a pretty good episode. I like the whole the whole shroom scene and then putting together the oh, okay. science. I like the little parallels yeah. of this conversation, you know, is bringing these people together and this one is bringing these people together and the showing mm. that, you know, they cleared the situation with Burnham and Stamets entirely. Uh-huh. You know, I, I enjoyed the I enjoy a mystery on Star Trek, and that's sort of what we were exploring. We had a whole little mystery on the planet. Yeah, I did enjoy learning about the unknown species so far. Uh, just as known as 10C. Yeah, it 10C. would be nice to be able to give them a a name pretty soon. The 10Cs. <laughs> yeah. Funny thing that uh, they are called the 10Cs. Uh, what's the next episode that we'll be reviewing? The next episode that we will be reviewing will be Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. Season 4 Episode 11 12, 12 mm-hmm. The 10th In this episode as the DMA approaches Earth and Navarre Captain Burnham and the crew of the Discovery attempt to make contact with the powerful species responsible before it's too late Where did this 29 hour thing come from? I thought they had less time when we got the message from the Admiral oh, Yeah, I thought it was 4 hours before debris started hitting uh-huh. But t- uh, 29 hours before the DMA comes close enough to actually interject oh. with the planet. Uh, oh, so is it heading towards them and it's going to yes. eat them too? This is correct. Yeah, that's the, uh. that's the whole idea of the Tensi part. Tensian <laughs> of the episode. Alrighty, everybody. That's uh-huh. our episode. It is indeed. Thank hope you, you for it. joining us today. Hope yeah. yes, hope you enjoyed it. Uh-huh. Until next time, Yum. stay positive. Okay. Dream big. Uh. And you'll hear from us again soon. Support the continued mm, you smell like show love. through Patreon.com. Oh. Let's talk about Trex is a production of Anodyne Relay, supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttrex.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trextalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3 Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. Okay. Hey, thanks. Right. Tomorrow's the second to last discovery. Thank you, guys. I hopefully I will be able to restrain myself from watching both of the last episodes. It'll be difficult. They do sort of like <laughs> they do sort of make you want to immediately watch the final episode. Right, do you want me to hold back, or can I watch? You can the... do it as you wish. Alrighty. Okay. All right then. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Ciao. Have a great day tonight. You 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 too. Thank Thanks. you. Bye now. All right.